This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Today on What the Hack, we're talking about the scams and types of identity theft you need to be thinking about right now. That is at least according to a new report just published by the Identity Theft Resource Center. That report found that 55% of these kinds of crimes were due to compromised credentials. Social media accounts, email, shared passwords. And what that means is you and your closest friends all sharing that same Hulu login might all be opening yourselves up to the nightmare of identity theft. Which is why we're talking to one of the foremost authorities on identity-related crimes. She's the president and CEO of the Identity Theft Resource Center, and the best person to get us pointed in the right direction. Welcome to What the Heck with Adam Levin. I'm Adam Levin, a consumer advocate who loves to tell dad jokes. I'm Bo Friedlander, a non-expert expert and Aries poster child. And I'm Travis Taylor, an all-around tech expert and cat herder. Eva Velasquez, welcome to our show. I've known Eva for way over a decade, when we were both teenagers, obviously, <laughs> and we've been working together for a really long time in the identity protection area. Eva's the head of the Identity Theft Resource Center, which, in my opinion, is the most important nonprofit in the identity protection and identity theft resolution space in the U.S. Hello. Hello. Eva Las Vegas, <laughs> how are you? We just are getting ready to drop an annual report that we have on trends and identity. And of course, it made everything frenetic this week. So, Okay, but before we do that, what exactly does the Identity Theft Resource Center do? Well, we provide free recovery and risk minimization services, direct one-on-one -on -one services to victims and the public. And I started as CEO about 10 years ago. But I've been in this space for, I, I'm so hesitant to say it, decades. I did start my career in 1986 in law enforcement. I spent 21 years at the San Diego District Attorney's Office with the last 11 of those years focused on investigating economic crimes. And I agree with you that the ITRC is such an important organization. And I realized that when I was in law enforcement. We're so dismissive of this crime type and this population and their need for resources that I felt really strongly that this next evolution, where where do I belong? Now that I'm done getting the bad guy, and I got quite a few of them, and we got our pound of flesh, what can I do for victims? So getting into victim services really felt like the next step for me, and hopefully that's been a good thing for the public. Well, and, and an important thing to remember is that when we started, if you were a victim of identity theft, people looked at you as if you were the perpetrator. Yes. It, the first step that a victim had to take in the 90s when this first emerged as a crime type was proving that they were not a criminal. Yeah. 
before they could recover their identity, they had to prove that they did not perpetrate these these crimes. Oh, and they and they put you through the ringer too. So you know, especially if it was a, a crime that involved a credit card, the onus fell on you to prove that you had not uh, done anything wrong. And that and and it's you know completely changed now. But I do remember those days. It hasn't changed as much as I would like, Bo. <laughs> I still talk to people that are like, I have to prove, especially victims of criminal identity theft, where they are being accused of, and it's anything from moving violations up into felonies. And they have to prove that that was not me. And, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you on the phone when someone is serving a six-year prison sentence in another state under my name and social security number, demonstrably, I'm not calling you from prison. And they still have to go through that entire process in that jurisdiction, giving their fingerprints, demonstrating that they're not the criminal. So it, it's gotten much better, but it's not where I would like to see it. You use the term criminal identity theft. How does that differ from any other form of identity-related crime? Well, we categorize identity theft or identity fraud and misuse into four major buckets, financial, government, criminal, and medical. And it's it's really more the industry or the platform or the silo where those credentials are being misused. So financial is going to be banks and credit unions and credit card issuers. Government is going to be things like IRS and unemployment. And then criminal is going to be a misuse within the criminal justice system, where a thief has provided someone else's credentials and information during or after the commission of a crime. And then medical is the thief is providing those credentials to get medical goods or services, including prescriptions and durable medical equipment and even surgeries. So they're all crimes, but a criminal means that it's being used within specifically the criminal justice system. Correct. Yep. Travis, to give you an example of criminal identity theft, you're wanted for several crimes in my home state because I use your name all the time. (laughs) (laughs) You said you weren't going to tell him that. So how common is criminal identity theft in America? I don't think we have good national numbers. I can tell you for the ITRC and our contact center, 4% of our cases last year were criminal identity theft. It's a relatively low percentage based on, you know, the overall number. We see mostly financial and government and then criminal 4%, medical is about 1% every year. Uh Uh But when you consider it is one of the hardest types to remediate and recover from because of all those those hoops I just talked about and the reputational damage. How many cases does the ITRC handle every year? About 15,000 individual cases per year. Wow. What trends, what are the three biggest trends that you see right now in the whole identity theft area? Social is the theme. Social media and social engineering. Social media account takeover has been something that has grown significantly in the last about two, two plus years, and it really spread like wildfire. I think there's this misconception that people have have that, oh, your social media account was taken over. You no longer have access to it. You can't watch funny cat videos. I don't really feel like this is a big deal and nothing could be further from the truth. 
Aside from the entertainment value of these accounts or even the connection value, this is how some people stay connected with their friends and family, a lot of these accounts are, are revenue generating. A lot of them are being used by individuals and small businesses as the way that they advertise and cultivate and maintain relationships with their customers. When these accounts are taken over, not only does the user lose access to their customer base, their client base, that revenue, the account can then also be misused to perpetrate scams against their followers and their network. And it looks like it's coming from that individual. So there's all this reputational damage. There is all this guilt and shame that perhaps their friends and family are being exploited and it's their fault because it's their account that was taken over. So that's been a, a huge trend. Is, is there one specific platform that's targeted more often than others? Or? Well, it flip-flops. We're seeing Instagram a lot more, but really it does switch mainly between Instagram and Facebook. With Twitter, it happens, but it's not a big one. And then, not that this is social media, but it's a scam. Google Voice is the other big scam that we've seen thousands, literally thousands of cases of Google Voice accounts and Google accounts being taken over with a voice account then attached to this user's account that they had no idea. How many of these scams have to do with how easy Google Voice is to use? Or is it just about getting a legitimate sounding number? Well, it's really about subterfuge. If they have a legitimate phone number tied to a legitimate user, you, Bo, I'm going to I'm gonna attach a Google how Voice. How dare you call me legitimate? <laughs> well done, Ava. <laughs> We're all legit here. So, but you, well, you know, you know what I mean? Pun totally intended. So the scammer then ties this Google Voice number that you don't know about. It's, it's mm -hmm. all tied to your account and your credentials and your identity. Yep. Talk about a veil. Talk about a cloak. Now they are free to go out and use this number to perpetrate any type of scam they want. They can buy goods, services, all kinds of things. They can start calling people with the phony government grant scams. It can be something as small as I'm selling something on Facebook Marketplace and it's mm -hmm. they're not really. There's no item for sale using your phone number. Yeah. To something even, you know, much broader, like I said, a a, a phony government grant or government institution scam. And if anything gets tied back to them, let's say in some way that they they perpetrate enough of these frauds, it catches the eye of some law enforcement agency, it's all reported. It doesn't point at the scammer, it points at you. Yeah. So it's all about subterfuge. And you can't brush it off that easily. I mean, you can, but it takes a bit of work to to get to the point where police or you know law enforcement will believe you that it wasn't you. Regardless of how much time it takes, you still have to go through that process, whether it takes you a day or a year of demonstrating, oh, that wasn't me. I didn't even know that that was happening. I didn't even know that was occurring. So that's the motivation behind it.
Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rogue Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rogue's got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. So, Bo and Adam, you guys know I'm a bit of a uh, privacy geek, if you will. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, totally. I, I really just don't like the idea that just about anyone can find you online, can find out where you live or your email address, or your phone number or anything. I just think that entire idea is super creepy. There's so much of my data already out there, but is there something that you can do? Yeah, actually, you can use Delete Me. Delete Me is a service that pretty much does the heavy lifting for you, where they go to all the data brokers that they have on file and uh, just pull your data and delete it on a regular basis. I use it. I like it. And they make it quick, easy, and safe to remove your personal data online. Well, yeah, with these data brokers, they can accumulate huge amounts of your personally identifiable information. And if all that information gets into the hands of a bad actor, that opens you up to a lot of risk. And if you act now, you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and use promo code WTH. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and enter promo code WTH at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash WTH, promo code WTH, which stands for What the Hack. And we thank you for supporting Delete Me and What the Hack. Okay, we're talking about these three trends. The first was social media scams, which we're about to wrap up. Have you noticed anything the folks losing their social media accounts have in common? You know, that's, that is a great question because this is so broad. I would say it's putting their trust in a digital-only interaction to a degree that they shouldn't be. We have to realize that those digital-only transactions, we cannot give them as much weight as we do. We don't actually know who we're communicating with at the other end of that phone call, on the other end of that direct message coming into social media, that text message, that email. And so the, the social engineering that is occurring that the scammers are using, and it is so sophisticated and so highly targeted that it's it's hard to you know, look at an, an individual or an individual user and look at their pattern of behavior and say, this is it. This is the, the thing that, that people do with that exception. If we adopted a more skeptical mindset, all of us, when it comes to those digital-only transactions, that could help a lot. It sounds like social engineering is trend number two. Absolutely. So the scammers are doing their homework. And it's gr- and it's nitty gritty. They actually are able to say something that you'll just be like, oh my gosh, that's like the air I breathe. Let's keep going. It's both our credentials 
they have access to some of our credentials on the identity marketplaces so they can communicate with uh, oh hey Eva it's your it's your internet provider and I have your name and your date of birth and your address and your email can you give me your social security number to verify your your identity once again we are giving our scammer listeners yep. advice <laughs> Be successful. College for scammers. <laughs> Eva, we have some. I'm convinced that at least an eighth of our listenership are, are scammers who are like, hmm, I'd never thought of that before. <laughs> Bo's actually opening up an account where people can sell money to him to be their scam coach. Yes, we scam coach now. And, and as long as they don't do a crime, because if they do a crime, then we, we don't take the Zell anymore. It's cash only. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, PCH, Publishers Clearinghouse Scams, making a comeback. We're getting a lot of calls. What's the new Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes doing over there? And of course, if you're of an age. Don't you know you could win $2 million? You remember those commercials with Ed McMahon coming with the big check and bringing it to your house. Here's the secret, folks, of where to win the biggest sweepstakes prize of all time. And so for certain segment of the population, it's that brand awareness, that legitimacy. Oh, yeah. Publishers Clearing House, they actually are legitimate sweepstakes. So it makes it very hard for people to discern because that's what the scammers love to do. Let me take something with a kernel of truth and I'm going to spin my yarn with all those lies and make it impossible for people to detect. Anything else on the uh, social engineering front we should know about? We're data creators now. And we put so much information about ourselves out there, our likes, our dislikes, where we bank. This, this part of ourself, what is going to resonate with us? That's all over our, the internet and our social media account profiles. So if a highly sophisticated, targeted social media threat actor is going to go after you, they're going to look at all of those things. And if they were going after me, they wouldn't hit me with an investment scam. I don't talk about those things. They'd hit me with a charity scam because I always talk about philanthropy and altruism. So they can do that with that information. Oh, look, so-and-so's a dog lover. I'm going to hit them with, my dog needs surgery. Will you help me? Will you donate to this fundraiser for this pet shelter that I volunteer for? That's the highly targeted piece that I think is really important for people to realize. Why does this resonate with me so much? Because it was designed to. All trends point to identity thieves getting better at using social engineering techniques to convince people to share financial, business, and personal information, namely through Google Voice and other forms of social media. What's the third trend you see? Driver's license, DMV accounts. What? They have become increasingly more valuable in the identity marketplaces. And it's mainly because when we saw that huge increase in unemployment identity theft, during the pandemic and now post-pandemic, because it has stayed at an elevated baseline. As we introduced new fraud controls, many of the states now required your driver's license number. So what happened? The hackers and thieves went after that data. 
And we saw increases in the value of it. We saw increases in breaches going after that data. And now it, it tracks because now that there's more of that data available, we've seen a huge increase in the actual misuse of DMV data and, and accounts. It was 4% of our cases for misuse last year had a DMV component, and now it's 15% this year. Now, how are they doing this? Are they connecting a name to the license number or are they just using a license number? Oh, yes, it's connected to other identity credentials. So it's it's being used, particularly in online platforms. If Because now, again, the, those fraud detection services, providers, software, all of those things are saying, okay, now we, we need to use different types of data. It can't just be a social security number. Now it's your driver's license. So if you have the driver's license that matches an individual, you can start applying for benefits. I mean, it really is running the gamut. It's not just that. It's applying for licenses in other states. You know, that's more about subterfuge. But really, as an authenticator or something to verify your identity, that's now becoming a key credential. So, of course, now it's going to be misused more often. What about the physical license? Are they actually, does that not matter in this particular usage? It can, but but we've also seen that it's very easy to recreate those. We have a partnership with David Maiman at Georgia State University, and he is looking at the physical driver's licenses, not only that are being created and the equipment that these thieves have, a lot of it is actual DMV equipment. So we're looking at insider threat within those departments for sure. But so they've got the blanks, they've got the equipment, they can create it. But there's also so much mail theft. The keys for the blue boxes are in circulation. And so they're actually stealing people's licenses that are being renewed. I mean, driver's licenses, you could do an entire podcast just on that issue alone. Think about what can you do with your driver's license and your driver's license number. In the wrong hands, a thief can do anything that you can do with it, from presenting it to law enforcement during the commission of a crime, to verifying your identity in online platforms, applying for unemployment benefits, applying for other state-level types of benefits, getting Medicaid, getting insurance potentially, opening a checking account. What can the long-term ramifications there be? Well, it can impact your, definitely your criminal record, which is going to impact your ability to potentially get a job. It can impact your finances. If you have checking accounts open that are now all overdrawn, if you have other credit instruments, if you have state level benefits applied for in your name that you didn't know about, that's going to be pointed back towards you. It's going to impact your tax filings. I mean, it has all of these tentacles that are just going to keep reaching into your life in all of these different ways. So it actually can be quite challenging for an individual to recover from the misuse of their identity when it involves their driver's license, either just the number or the physical license itself. You actually speak to thousands of identity theft victims who you helped And what you're doing is assessing where they've come from, what they've gone through, the emotional trauma. 
Can you tell us a little bit about the emotional impact of identity theft? Because a lot of people think it's just, it's a credit card issue. No, 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 it's not. We look at the real life impacts. What were the emotional impacts? 10% of our respondents said they were suicidal. What were the physical impacts? People report having insomnia, having heart palpitations, stomach problems. What were the life impacts? Did you have a financial need that you couldn't meet because of your identity victimization and responded, yes, I couldn't pay bills. I couldn't pay rent. I couldn't make my car payment. Or you couldn't you know. make it to like a family a function or a wedding or something big, a birthday party. There's like, it could be smaller, but it's still huge. We had a victim who was a victim around Christmas time and she had a very pervasive thief. And she spent the entire month of Christmas. This was just one piece of it. I mean, it was a very complex case. But she spent the entire month of Christmas opening the mail only to get new notification of new credit card attempts or new accounts being opened. And she said, I had, you know, my husband and I, we had three young children. In addition to all the financial and emotional turmoil, that was time lost. That Christmas with my small boys, she had three boys, was lost to me. Because I had to be totally focused on all of these other things. We couldn't go visit my parents, his parents. Our heads were not in the joy of the moment. So wrapped around all of the repercussions of this crime. So, yes, in addition to the concrete pieces, there's all of these other just quality of life pieces that I don't think we think about. I've actually had once a very persistent identity thief who had my credentials and was was trying everything to try and, and get money out of my identity and failing because I had all the safeguards in place. But it was like being forced to play goalie 24-7. <laughs> yes, I've had some liken it to whack-a-mole. Every time I turn around, I gotta hit that one, I gotta hit that one, I gotta hit that one, and, and I yeah, never know yeah. when it's gonna pop up again. So in your experience now, having dealt with this for decades and with all of the calls and all of the people that you've helped at ITRC, what are some of the recommendations that you would make to our listeners to keep themselves significantly safer than they are now? Well, you know, there's no panacea. Everybody wants like the what's the one thing. But it, because there's so many different ways your credentials can be misused, there's a lot of different things. And I'm going to encourage people to please come to the IETRC website and take a look at all of the recommendations and just make this mindset a part of your life, particularly if you're one of those people that engages in a lot of digital-only transactions. But the top, my top three, like the biggest bang for your buck, freeze your credit and freeze your kid's credit. It's free. It's simple. It really isn't as cumbersome as it used to be. And generally speaking, it's something you can do in about 30 to 45 minutes. A little more complicated when you're doing it for your kids because you do have to not only have all of their identity information, you have to prove that you have the legal authority to make decisions on their behalf. And then you have to manage those accounts for them until they, you know, age out and become adults. But that that's a one of the most robust proactive steps that you can take. 
My second recommendation is strengthen your passwords. Please use unique passwords across all of your accounts. I think we've made some good headway in this area. I know most folks are like, oh, my financial accounts, I have separate passwords and I don't reuse them, but they will reuse simple passwords across other accounts, like their social media accounts. Man, no account is, is worthless, right? They all have value. Thieves will figure out a way to monetize it. Use unique and complex passwords, 12 characters or longer. And then my third one is enable MFA, multi-factor authentication. Look, it's not a panacea. Again, it's not going to save you from everything. But, and it's not uh, mandatory on all of your accounts. It's optional on a lot of accounts, but people don't know that. They think it, unless it's mandatory, they're not going to use it. Well, I encourage people use multi-factor authentication wherever it's an option. Yes, it adds an extra step, but that friction that's what you want because the more friction you have, if you have a little bit of friction introduced into your interaction, that's more friction for a thief. And even if they have your username and password, they still won't be able to get into your account without that code. But there's a caveat with this one because we're seeing it. Don't share the code. One other question I have in terms of what people can do if they've been targeted by identity theft is what resources are out there to help deal with the psychological ramifications? Well, unfortunately, they're in short supply. And so when we talk to people, I mean, a big part of what we provide is some of that handholding and just being a listening ear. We're not trained therapists. We're identity advisors. We are actually looking and fingers crossed, you guys, we're hoping to start some peer support groups, federal government, Department of Justice, Office of Victims of Crime. If you're listening, this is a really good idea. So please give us our grant. So there, it's going to be different in whatever region you're in. And we do encourage people, you know, more than what resources are available, I think the first step is that people have to acknowledge that this has impacted them and not be ashamed of that. And I still think there's this sort of mantle of shame when people don't want to say, boy, this really got to me, I need help. They don't want to admit that because for fear of being dismissed, being made fun of, so that's really the first step. And then it's, okay, well, what are you going through because of it? And then let's find you some resources. Is it a peer support group? Is it a therapist? Are, you know, are you a member of a faith-based community? Can you talk to maybe, you know, a, a pastor, a reverend, someone like that to get some help there? So it's going to be very, very individualized. But on the whole, there is a dearth of resources. They simply aren't available. And the Crime Victim Fund, the VOCA funding, that is distributed by Department of Justice to all of the states. Now, it will pay for those types of resources for victims of violent crimes. It will pay for therapy, for support, those types of things. Does not pay for that at all with this crime type or even nonviolent, any nonviolent crime type. And that is such an important point because if you've been a victim of a identity-based crime, you know it is really traumatic and it feels incredibly invasive and you have time absolutely it's 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 not that different from having someone actually in your home and because they're in your stuff and 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 trauma is trauma i don't care if it's you know getting beat up in a parking lot or getting beat up in a in, in cyberspace you're still 
getting beat up and you still need to handle it. And too often, anyone who's had an identity-related crime happen to them, that you call the police and they act as though it is the biggest inconvenience on earth to do a police report. Oh, well, there's nothing we can do about it. We have to start insisting that they do something about it. Have you started to see police departments across the country more active in identity theft cases, or is it still, it's difficult because they're under-resourced, understaffed, and less than ideally trained in order to deal with this? It, it really depends on the department. Now, there are 17, over 17,000 law enforcement agencies in the United States, and that's from federal all the way down to your, you know, two-man shop in a rural county or region. And the issue is twofold. One, under-resourced, we don't have the manpower to even take the report, much less investigate it. And the other one is, because it's so ubiquitous and the police report is needed as that tool, you have hundreds of thousands of these cases needing the police report, but they can't be investigated. And that is going to skew the ratio of cases taken in versus cases solved and resolved. And funding is dependent on that. So we need to change that model. That's a policy and a model change that, that, that don't, I mean, I think it's kind of easy. Don't count identity crimes into the schema of resolved cases and give people their police report. But that's one piece. But from the resource issue of we, we can't really help these people. We don't know what to do with it. And it doesn't, it just doesn't feel good as law enforcement agents that we take this report and then we can't do anything else. We, the ITRC, is currently looking for partners, law enforcement agencies that want to partner with us. The FBI has a training program for chiefs of police from all over the country, both those that are agencies larger than 500 and those that are agencies that are smaller than 500. I've actually taught at some of those to educate those police chiefs better. We are currently trying to work with IA. CP, International Association of Chiefs of Police, to get this information out in front of them. But we're actually trying to tackle it in with all different avenues. We're talking with the AG's offices, local police departments, talking with the feds. We just want everybody to know this is being funded by the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice has given us the money to hire some folks in our contact center for this purpose to provide those services. And you don't need to do anything else but refer the victims to us and we'll take care of them and once we talk to the right person usually the chief or the assistant chief they say this is a no-brainer and we get the mou signed and all of a sudden we start getting the referrals so this is a great partnership and i think it will help i think it will help a lot and if you're listening and you happen to be a member of law enforcement please know that I am not only available to the criminals out there. <laughs> I will also tell you something about these crimes so that you can, and Adam, you said it, I think it's so important. There does need to be more training with law enforcement. Well, it sounds like what uh, law enforcement agencies kind of need to get on board with is something that cyber criminals are acutely aware of, which is data is valuable. The more information they have about identity theft, even if it can't necessarily be solved as such, that is still something that needs to be taken into account, that needs to be reported. That's something that needs to actually just be factored in so we get those statistics. It's a race on a treadmill, and we need to catch up. We definitely need to catch up. And the role that consumers can play in this fight, this is the thing I really want people to consider. 
be a little bit more forgiving of friction. The whole, you know, friction versus a seamless interaction. If companies saying, oh, if I introduce too much friction and I make it a little bit too hard and they have to jump through a hoop, they're going to walk away. And they're not wrong because people are doing that. And I keep telling people, I would rather see a company introduce a little bit of friction. That's who I actually want to do business with because that means they are steward, good stewards of my data, my information, and my identity, and they're helping me. So that's where consumers can really play a big role is, is telling industry, this is okay and I'm still gonna do business with you. We say we care, we say privacy is important and managing our data is important, but we don't quite behave that way. You know, something takes nine seconds and we lose our mind. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works, not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing and I need to make split second financial decisions. And that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks and I trade options and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. Eva, we can't thank you enough for, for sharing your thoughts, your wisdom, and your experience with us. And uh, uh, on behalf of Bo, Travis, and myself, uh, this has been a wonderful, uh, a wonderful session for us. And I think that a lot of people are going to take a lot back from this. It was an absolute pleasure. I hope I can come back again, and I hope some folks learn some stuff. Okay, well... Eva's report, uh, the ITRC, it sounds like we're going to be getting a lot of new scams coming through to us this year. Absolutely. And if you've had an identity-related crime, we'd love to hear from you on the show. You can reach out to us on social media or just shoot us an email to press at adamlevin.com. We'd love to hear from you. So, guys, it's time for the tinfoil swan. Our paranoid takeaway to keep you safe on and offline. Well, today's takeaway isn't exactly paranoid, but it does relate to identity theft. Also, Well, as Evo had mentioned, you know, one thing that's often overlooked about identity theft is the impact that it has on the victims. Identity theft takes on average 40 hours to resolve, and that's in the short term. And even then, you're spending the rest of your life looking over your shoulder. Someone out there has the information they need to steal your identity again and again. It's incredibly stressful, and we shouldn't only view the damage it causes in terms of money. Right. I thought the uh, statistic that she quoted that roughly 10% of identity theft victims contemplate suicide was staggering and really upsetting. So what's the takeaway? Well, listen, if you know someone who has been the victim of identity theft, consider taking the time to schedule an appointment with a therapist who can talk you through the experience. 
even if you think you're fine, even if you think it was just an inconvenience, just a quick check-in with a mental health professional may help you deal with some of the longer-term damages. It is trauma. It does matter. You need to talk about it. Definitely. I think that's a great idea. Anytime you're targeted by a criminal, there's going to be some sense of violation. So having someone not just accessing your personal data, but using it to steal your identity is a massive invasion of your privacy. And that's most likely going to be an ongoing source of stress, anxiety, uh, you name it. Especially because it's difficult to tell how far the damage from identity theft has gone. Even if you cover all your bases, freeze your credit, get identity protection, dark web monitoring. Listen, it's you name it, it could be it. You may still find out there's a nasty surprise waiting for you if you need to go to the hospital, file your taxes, apply for a loan. It can be a lot to deal with when you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. So part of the identity theft recovery process should for sure be dealing with the trauma that you've experienced. And if you or someone you know is contemplating suicide, please call the National Suicide Crisis Lifeline, your local shrink. Call me. Call somebody. If you're in the U.S., that's a toll-free call to 988. And you know what? The phone can be really heavy. Pick it up anyway. And that, my friends, that's our tinfoil swan. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media, produced by Andrew Stephen and Travis Taylor. Our executive producers are Bo Friedlander and Adam Levin. That's me. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin. Come back next week. And rate and review. It really helps people find the show. 